Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Story time. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I was bow hunting with my uncle up North Michigan. It was about three to four hours of hearing and seeing nothing. All of a sudden I hear the angriest, weirdest and most pissed off growl I have ever heard. I looked down from my tree stand carefully and seen something that kinda looked like a small black bear. But I've never heard a bear sound like that. I noticed it had loose flappy skin when it walked. And it hit me. I am right next to a g-damn wolverine. When I realized I knocked my arrow to my bow and when I did, it instantly hurt it and looked straight up at my soul. I have never been so still in my entire life. It eventually thought it was nothing and kept going along. Growling like a pissed off baby black bear. Also, wolverines are known to mess up grizzlies and kill other animals like nothing. They climb trees like they are a damn house cat. I would have been ground beef if he caught me. I look over to check my uncle. He is standing on his tree stand and he was keeping the wolverine at gunpoint for me the whole time and I didn't even notice. We make eye contact and he screams was that a wolverine? Yep, I said. I was 16 when that happened and I will never see such a rare wild encounter like that again. They are extremely rare up in Michigan. You basically gotta be around the Canada area to even have a chance to be near one from what I've heard.
I was hunting deer alone and shot a buck from much longer range than I should have. It looked like it was badly wounded but it managed to run away. I gave chase and for most of that while it was out of my sight. After a mile or so of running I caught sight of the buck a couple hundred feet away. The animal was not moving and had been finished off by another hunter. That person was at the buck's rear end and looked like he was humping it. I didn't even consider getting a closer look at that point. I might have had a legitimate claim to part of the buck's corpse, but claiming the meat was the last thing on my mind. I bolted out of there faster than I could have managed while chasing after it, praying the whole time he didn't notice me. As long as there's crazy deer humpers in the woods, I'm not going back there. At 4 a.m., I found myself walking to my deer blind, deep in the wilderness, far from the closest house, which was a good 10 miles away in any direction. It was an eerie and solitary walk, as I knew I wasn't well known in that remote area. The darkness was thick around me, punctuated only by the distant stars in the sky. It felt like I was the only human presence for miles. As I continued on my path, I suddenly heard a female voice, a chilling and haunting scream repeatedly calling my name. The hair on the back of my neck stood on end, and a shiver ran down my spine. It was inexplicable. There was no logical reason for anyone to be out here in the middle of the night, screaming my name. I considered the possibilities. My dad, who was usually not an early riser, couldn't possibly have known which hunting spot I had chosen for the day, nor could he have woken my mother, who was the complete opposite, a light sleeper and a morning person, to beat me to my hunting spot and then return before me with a cold car. The mystery deepened as I strained to locate the source of the voice. The forest was silent, and the only sounds were the distant rustling of leaves and the occasional hoot of an owl. It was as though the very woods themselves were echoing the call of the mysterious voice. Now when I think about it, it might be Windigo. I was hiking alone in northern Italy, although I knew severe thunderstorms were forecast for the afternoon. I figured I could get up and down the mountain, Grigna Meridionale, before 1 p.m. and wait out the storms in the bar by my campsite. Instead, I got caught out in the open, thunder and lightning all around me, and I had to cling to a shrub while what I am sure was a weak tornado passed overhead. The wind became deafening, the trees and shrubs all bent one way towards the ground, then after about 10 seconds they turned and bent the other way towards the ground, all while I was holding on for dear life getting totally soaked by the horizontal rain. There was a major tornado that day in Bergamo from the same setup so it's not impossible that I had been caught in a spin-up. 100% thought I was going to die. My mother and I saw a bird that followed the car up a mountain road near Maysville, West Virginia. We saw only the tail and the underside of this animal. Its wings were almost as wide as the road. This animal repeatedly flew over the hood of the car as we drove. It did not have a feathered tail. Its tail looked long and coiled up. It was dark in color. When we witnessed this I told my mother that I looked like a prehistoric bird. This animal was much larger than a turkey, turkey buzzard, owl, eagle, hawk, or any other bird of prey that I have ever seen. It had a broad heavy body. In fact, it looked so large that it had trouble getting airborne and it used the path of the road to get up in the air. This bird looked large enough to easily take down a dog or deer-sized animal. I cannot say that it had any humanoid features but this was something that both myself and my mother still remember. I have to believe that other people witnessed what we saw. This is a true story. For obvious reasons, I can see that people blow it off as untrue but we know the truth. I know another person in Maysville, West Virginia who has described something similar. He explained to me he did not know what it was but it was as big as the highway is wide. I was around 9 years old or so and was at my mom's friend's house because they were having a little get together. 
My mom's best friend at the time decided to go get something, which was at a house nearby down a dirt road in the woods. My mom's friend decided to take me and my friend with her. I wish I had never gone with her. We rode out with her over there, and when she got out, my friend and I stayed in her car and waited for her to come back. After sitting in her car for 10 minutes, we decided to get out to see what was taking her so long. When we did that, she told us to get back in the car, so we did. As it turned out, she was buying weed, so we weren't welcome in the house. My buddy and I got back in her car and waited for her to come out. They had a lot of bulldogs on that property. The dogs had all been barking like crazy and then just stopped all at once and went to their dog houses. That's when my friend and I saw this thing that looked like some kind of werewolf coming from behind the car. We froze and just stared at it as it walked by. Wow, it looked so evil and demonic. When we saw it, we ducked down and lay on the floorboards, and we lay there for what seemed like forever until we heard my mom's friend hitting on the driver's window, trying to get us to let her in. I guess it left when I heard her come out of the house or something. Who knows, maybe it was lurking around the area just waiting for the right time. In 2012, I'd like to tell you about an encounter my son had, maybe four years ago. He had told me about it back then, but I had no clue. Now, we have dog men encounters, and I know. Here's what happened, my son's friend was driving him home at around 11 p.m. Through a rural residential area. The houses were spaced some distance apart, and they were on a two-lane highway with no street lights and very little traffic. The area is not overly wooded but has patches of trees and fields. This area would probably be included in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. Anyway, they were driving along when suddenly, from the right side of the road, this thing sprang out and crossed the road into the bushes on the other side in just two leaps or bounds, or steps, or however you want to say it. It was in full view because of their headlights. My son said the first thing he thought was dog. He went on to say that it was running on all fours like a deer. He described it as a cooler version of a deer with a huge dog head, massive shoulders, and a really small waist. He kept repeating just how big it was, so I asked for a comparison. I asked if he meant it was huge, like maybe as big as a deer, or was it as tall as a cow? He answered, and I can quote his response, Mom, this thing was massive. If we had hit it, the car would have gone underneath it, and its body would have hit the windshield. I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it was about the size and shape of one of those older Sentras. He said that neither he nor his friend said anything for about 10 seconds, and then his friend yelled, did you see that? My son said, yes, and they didn't say another word the rest of the way. And that's it. It's really creepy to me, and I thought other listeners might like to hear about it. Years ago, when my wife and I were dating, we talked about Bigfoot. I told her a story about my mother and father back in 1967. They were out by Spangenberg Lake in Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania, about 10 miles from where we live. They told me that they had got in his car about 4 a.m. and out of the woods came a huge white fur-covered beast on two feet. It stood way over the car. I asked my dad what its face looked like and he said he didn't know because he just hit the gas and got out of there. As I'm telling my wife this I searched White Bigfoot on Google. Amazingly enough, a video pops up showing this White Bigfoot in Carbondale, Pennsylvania which is one town over from us. The wooded sections behind Carbondale go all the way to Spangenberg Lake. I have no doubt it's real. This incident occurred in the town of Grays Creek, North Carolina. My brother Larry is working as a deliveryman for the local branch of a nationwide pizza chain. He was tasked to deliver some pizzas to a college frat house. Larry's car was in the shop at the time so he was driving his boss's pickup truck. He successfully delivered the pizzas and was driving back through Grays Creek on a road with overhanging oak trees. 
He had the windows open and was listening to the radio when all of a sudden he heard a loud bang from the bed of the truck. He slammed on the brakes while looking in the rearview mirror and could see something black up against the rear window. When he got to a full stop he saw something flailing around and it managed to roll and push its way to the open tailgate to get out of the truck bed. Larry was still looking in the rearview mirror trying to figure out what this thing was when he saw it stand on two feet and rise to an estimated height of seven feet. He grabbed and tilted the mirror so he could see its face and right as he got it in focus it looked right into the mirror back at him with an expression of pure murderous hate on its human-like face. It then let out a huge and super loud screeching roar. Larry ain't no dummy. He turned right back around and stomped on the gas because he knew if this thing got its hand on him it would absolutely tear him apart. Larry says he has no recollection of driving back to the pizza joint, just that the next thing he knew he was getting out of the truck and his knees buckled. He would have fallen out flat had he not managed to catch himself in the door's armrest. He said that he stayed squatted and was gulping air for about three minutes. Then he went into the pizza place trying to look like he was alright. The rest of the story comes from my mother. When Larry's boss saw him he knew Larry was definitely not alright because he was as pale as a sheet and his eyes were huge. Larry's manager turned him right back around and drove him home. Larry says he has no memory of saying anything to his boss during the drive. Mom walked Larry back to his room so he could lie down while my dad and Larry's boss looked at his truck. The part of the bed sides near the window was crumpled downwards a good bit and there was blood in the bed as well. There were also some tufts of hair and there was a really bad smell. Dad said it smelled like a skunk had sprayed down a burning tire while King Kong crapped on it. Mom and Dad wound up sitting up with Larry all night because he was obviously in a state of shock and they came close to taking him to the hospital a couple times. But Larry insisted he was okay. He related his story to both Mom and Dad a little while afterward. They say they both believed him and my parents have always been experts at spotting lies, trust me on that one. About a year later Mom, Dad, my wife, and I along with Larry and his family were vacationing together and I was excited that I'd get to ask him about his experience face to face. I sat down with a notepad and pen and downloaded a voice recorder app on my phone. He looked both and just said no way, I don't want you submitting this to any Bigfoot organization. Furthermore, he said that this was going to be the last time we talked about this. I agreed and asked some questions that helped fill in the blanks in the account. I just shared it with you. I saw both the fear in his eyes and goosebumps rise up on his arms more than once. You can't fake that and it really hits home for me. My brother is former special forces and served a tour over in the sandbox, Iraq, he just doesn't get scared. The anticipation was palpable as I finalized the purchase of my new hunting property deep in the rugged Texas wilderness. The land was untamed, teeming with game, and a thrill for any hunter like me. Little did I know that this new acquisition would lead to a horrifying encounter that would haunt me for the rest of my days. I quickly set up trail cameras throughout the dense forest, eager to get a sense of the wildlife on my new land. The first few weeks were uneventful capturing images of deer, raccoons, and the occasional bear. But one crisp autumn morning, as I checked the latest trail camera photos, my excitement turned to unease. There, amidst the ordinary animal captures, was a picture that sent chills down my spine. It was a dark, massive figure, covered in fur, with a human-like face, staring with its gray, dead eyes, directly into the camera. It was unmistakable, a Sasquatch. The legendary creature that had been whispered about in hushed tones by hunters and locals for generations. My heart pounded as I examined the photo over and over. Surely it was some weirdo in a costume. Perhaps an inbred black bear? I kept making excuses as to what it was in order to comfort myself. I knew the consequences of sharing this with anyone, I'd be ridiculed, deemed a madman, obviously no one would believe me. So naturally, the need to prove what I had seen gnawed at me. Determined to find answers, 
I decided to venture into the woods with my loyal hunting dog, Max, by my side. The day was overcast, the forest eerily silent as Max and I hiked deeper into the woods. The anticipation weighed heavily on me. As excited as I may have been, I was terrified. Deep down though, I figured I probably wouldn't even encounter it. Hours passed, and the sun began its descent. Just as I had given up hope, we heard it, a low, guttural growl, resonating through the trees. My hand instinctively went to the rifle slung over my shoulder. I signaled for Max to stay close, but the faithful dog growled, his hackles raised. Suddenly, it emerged from the shadows, that familiar massive dark figure, covered in matted, black fur, with piercing eyes that held a deep, primal intelligence. It was said Sasquatch and it had found us. Fear gripped me hard, and my heart raced as I raised my rifle, not intending to harm the creature but only to ward it off. The Sasquatch, with a speed that defied its size, lunged forward, its massive arms closing around Max. My loyal dog let out a heart-wrenching yelp as the creature's grip tightened. I fired my rifle, but missed completely as the beast flew about the thick woods, carrying my buddy, Max, in its filthy grip. The world seemed to slow down, and I watched in abject horror as Max was being torn apart by the monstrous beast. The Sasquatch's eyes bore into mine, an intelligence in them that sent a shiver down my spine. With Max's lifeless body cradled in its arms, the Sasquatch turned and vanished back into the forest, leaving behind a shake and an anguished hunter. I was left in the darkening woods, the weight of guilt and grief pressing down on me. I wanted to cry, but yet I was emotionless. I'd sought proof, but the cost was higher than I could have ever imagined. As I made my way back to my cabin, the forest's once familiar beauty now held a sinister aura. The Sasquatch was no longer a legend, it was a brutal reality that had torn my world apart, and I would forever be haunted by the memory of that fateful encounter. The chilling scream of the Sasquatch echoed in my ears, a reminder that the line between myth and reality had blurred, and the forest held secrets more terrifying than I had ever imagined. I've encountered bears, snakes, moose, and recently a bobcat. But I never felt terror like I did when I was a kid. I was at a beach in Juneau with my parents and sister when I was very young, it was a nice day the river was blue and so was the sky for once. A bunch of families with small children and babies were out just barbking. We were walking along the beach toward the picnic area and I heard a baby crying in the woods. I learned about Kushtaka and Wendigo and other stories about things mimicking people at school. But at the time it didn't cross my mind that it was odd nobody else was concerned about this crying child. So my stupid ass lets my family walk ahead and I go into the woods. I didn't get very far when I centered in on the sound, I could still see the beach from the trees. I didn't see a baby or kid on the ground anywhere, but I heard the sound again and looked up at a tree. It was a goddamn raven sitting there making baby noises. A different raven swooped at me from the side and knocked my hat off and I took off running back to my parents. Later, the only thing I could think of as to why they did that was my hat was neon pink with sparkly sequins on it and they wanted the sequins. Scared the shit out of me then and still creeps me out to think about. Camp somewhere in the Kruger National Park, South Africa. Not in one of the fenced camps, we were on a five-day guided tour, driving on all the restricted roads and camping in the middle of the bush. One night I got up to take a piss outside of the tent. I walked a few meters and found a tree. Probably about 30 meters from where I stood I saw something move and a bunch of birds took flight in that direction. Next moment a hyena comes into view, looking straight at me and it started howling or laughing. It was full moon, so I got a good look. I could see its eyes, ears and teeth. It was horrifying to look at this hellhound. I finished, we stared at each other and it moved on. I wasn't sure whether I should run back to the tent or stand still and make sure it's gone. I decided to walk backwards, slowly. 
I didn't sleep well that night. Considering that in that same week someone's child, camping near, not in, KNP, was killed by a hyena in their tent. The reason I don't hike anymore, when I was about five or six my father, uncle, sister and two cousins went for a hike in Allegheny State Park. Three sisters trail. Of course, we ended up getting lost. Now, as a kid, I had major anxiety issues, so this was already nerve-wrenching. About 45 minutes into the hike, the sky darkened, temp dropped severely, and the skies opened up. Torrents of rain, hail, lightning, 20-30 miles per hour winds, trees falling in the woods around us. It was so loud and chaotic. I was absolutely convinced we were going to die. Turns out a small tornado touched down a few miles away, and we were in the outer radius of the storm. I've had several but the one that scared me the most happened when I was a kid. There was a railroad track behind our house, a small patch of woods, then a road with a larger patch of woods on the other side. Anyway, I used to go out and play in the smaller patch of woods by myself and nobody else ever went out there. Not other kids, nobody. It was like my little sanctuary where I could get away for a while and escape. One day I was sitting on this little hill just daydreaming when I heard something moving through the woods to my left. It sounded like a person, but like someone who was trying to walk quietly. I had a strong feeling someone was trying to sneak up on me so I slowly stood up and looked off to my left to get a better view. Sure enough, a man was walking through the woods toward me and I noticed that he was stopped. Like he was trying to make as little noise as possible. Well I was a kid and could run fast. So I got out of there quick and was practically in my backyard before he could take another step. I can still remember he was an older man wearing a blue windbreaker and I had a strong feeling that he had seen me in the woods before, maybe when driving down the road or walking on the track. I still think he had gone in the woods that day to try to track me down and had very bad intentions if he would have caught me. I never mentioned it to my parents or anything but I just had a strong gut feeling that I narrowly escaped a bad situation that day. Once we were camping, when I was a kid and my parents for some unknown reason brought my grandmother. She was a woman of foul disposition, chronic alcoholic and chain-smoked Marlboros. Somehow my mom convinced her to go on a short hike with us. We went around the bend to meet a downed tree and two hikers down the trail yelling and waving us away. My grandmother ignored them completely and started to forage her way over the downed tree in a plume of smoke from the Marlboro dangling from her mouth. That was when we saw the cougar under the tree, but grandmother, plowed forward. When she got over the tree, the cougar swiped at her leg, luckily just grazing her. She didn't flinch. Took a long drag off her cigarette and proceeded to kick the cougar square in the nose. This was not an old lady kick. She looked like an NFL punter. When her foot connected with the nose, it sounded like someone has stepped on a squeaky toy and the cougar wisely fled back into the forest. I was walking out of the woods one night with my bow and my tree stand on my back. I kept hearing something walking behind me and when I would stop it would stop. I would start walking and so would it. I kept turning around and looking with my flashlight but couldn't see anything. I got freaked out and started running. It started running as well. I'm literally on the verge of having a heart attack when I realized it was my tree stand strap dragging the ground about 15 feet behind me. I was spear fishing at night with a pretty powerful flashlight when out of the dark came this foot long snake looking thing. Almost gave me a heart attack. Turned out to be a ragworm swimming towards my face. A couple of minutes later, another one came swimming at me. Ten minutes later the water was full of these long suckers all around me in the dark. Creeped me out. Turned out it was mating season, which makes them leave their holes in the sand 
swimming up to release their sperm by destroying their bodies, dying in the process. Torchlight must have been drawing them out as if it was the full moon or something. I'll be checking for ragworm mating season every time I'm planning to go spear fishing. Edit. People have been asking why I spear fish at night. Species are the same: trout, flatfish, etc., but they're closer to the shore and more relaxed at night. In some countries, too many people take advantage of the fact that it's a bit easier to take the fish in the dark. This has led to spear fishers getting bad reputation. In many countries, spear fishing at night is illegal. So will it be in all of EU this year? Because some spear fishers without moral are taking too many fish in southern Europe. It's sad to see the sport being ruined by people just wanting money, not caring for nature. I only take the fish I can eat for myself and my family, if I find any at all. So should anybody else. It's important to take care of the nature. Be responsible. Sash Lake, visiting from Wiltshire, reported that at 12:20 p.m. I was leaving Drumnadrocket on a coach, admiring the view while the coach was driving past the lock. It started to rain and a light fog rolled in. My view/vision was partly limited due to the trees alongside the lock. But something caught my eye for approximately five seconds and made me jump out of my skin. I saw a huge black mass slash hump in the middle of the lock, roughly the size of a double-decker bus. I would say it was around 75 to 100 yards away from me. I was confused and in disbelief. I jumped to my feet to get a better look. Trees completely blocked my view for about five to eight seconds. There was a clearing in the trees. And when I looked back to where I saw the black mass slash hump, there was nothing there. A few years ago, a good friend of ours was in a car severe accident in which the passenger was in critical condition, whom I didn't know, and the driver, who was our friend, was also in critical but worse condition. Within the first 12 hours. Our friend, whom I will refer to as Mary from here on out, died at the hospital. I am unsure of the fate of the passengers, as I didn't know them, but I believe they did survive. Originally, the news of her death was brought up to me by another friend, and later confirmed it when I looked it up and saw it on a news webpage, stating her full first and last name, which I might add is not a common last name at all, but don't feel comfortable disclosing here. Circumstances of the accident and location of the accident. After a couple days of checking for an obituary to get funeral details, I eventually saw it around day two or three. But unfortunately, it said the family wished to have a private funeral open only to relatives. Death wasn't a new thing to me, as I unfortunately already had a few friends pass by this point in time. But it was pretty unsettling not being able to say my final goodbyes at a funeral, as is usually the norm. Fast forward about three to four months or so, I'm going about my daily routine and coming up to a four-way stop sign at nearly the same time as another car. The other car pulled up to the stop sign at the road perpendicular to my right. I remember this so vividly and will never forget it. Knowing a car was there. I probably glanced at my phone for a second to let them go ahead, and some loud screaming caught my ear over the sound of the radio. I blow it off for a second, but it continues in increased frequency. I look over real quick, look forward again, and then it crosses my mind: no way in hell. And I look back over again, and damn if it isn't Mary leaning out her window of that other car, waving her arms all around, screaming my name, trying to get my attention. The weirdest chill and feeling came over my body, literally as if I'm seeing a ghost and questioning my sanity on whether I was seeing things. At this point, I yelled out the window to tell her to turn right and pull over on the first street, which was within eyesight. I get out of the car and literally am stuttering and don't have the first clue of what to say, and she just decides at that point to lean in and give me a hug. She was solid and I could feel her hugging me, so at that point. I was assured that she wasn't a ghost. Lol. I explained to her how I grieved over her death and how I saw her obituary and everything, and she thought I was half crazy. I wish I could explain the way it feels to see somebody you knew was dead for a few months and then be able to hug them and have a chat in the most unexpected way possible. 
but I don't even know if there is a word in the English language to describe it. Now where it gets really interesting is after sharing all the details I knew of her passing and accident, everything matched up minus the death part, but I vividly remember seeing the obituary and the news article with her name and all the details of the accident that I explained to her. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. She actually did get in a terrible accident and was just released from the hospital a couple weeks before I saw her after she spent a couple months in the hospital. The exact road and location I told her were the correct spots too. The first 30 days she was in the hospital, she was in a coma and had a rough recovery and many surgeries following that, so it wasn't minor by any means. Later that day, I tried finding the obituary and news article, but they were nowhere to be found. But where did I get all the info from? This has been weird for a while. But for the longest time I blew it off as someone with the same name in a similar location, but I can't find anything on that either. The likelihood of someone with her exact unusual name is highly unlikely too. Not sure if this was a glitch or if I shifted timelines. Seasons never change high enough above the snow line, in this land of endless forests and shrouds of drifting mist. I've hunted here on my people's traditional land with my father and with the ghosts of my ancestors. Guided and knowing my path, I call myself a man, but to those whose forest this is, I am animal friend. It was a day when the dark green shadow of the mountain held a bridal veil of pure white clouds. Old Raven was calling to me, asking for crumbs for my sandwich. That is the last moment of my life when I was at peace. Many seekers of Skookum come here. They think they will find evidence of Bigfoot while they camp, hide camera traps, and hike a few miles into the ancient forests. I know Skookum, and it takes a lifetime of understanding and growth, not just a four-day hiking holiday and some amateur knowledge. There is a dark side to Bigfoot searches. Not all of those who track him are without knowledge. There is Silent Owl a fallen medicine healer whose family died a few years ago during the plague that swept through our homes. His ways have changed, he will not use his magic to heal. The skookum in his eyes has grown cruel and broken. So, when the hunters came and asked me if I was Joseph Pale, I told them I would not help them find Bigfoot, for it was their intention to shoot the legendary beast and become famous. I told them. Bigfoot is not an animal. He is like a man, peaceful and considerate unless you are trespassing and planning to hurt his family. I will not help you, and I'd suggest you turn around. I thought that would be the end of it. They could go into the woods with their rifles and they would find nothing but the ranger waiting to check their hunting permits. I doubted such men could even find an elk, let alone Bigfoot. They had no skookum, judging by their oversized rifles. I will help you, but not for less than double what you offered little fox. If he has said no, 
It now costs double. The chilling and callous voice of Silent Owl spoke from my shadow, where he had walked over from the lodge to see what the hunters wanted from me. Well alright. The hunter who looked like Matthew McConaughey said. The others whooped with excitement. We're gonna go bag ourselves a creature that doesn't even exist. Silent Owl took their money and went with them. I was horrified. The thought of Silent Owl leading them to the sacred lands, set aside for the forest people since the beginning of creation, was appalling and grotesque. I sat for a long time, feeling great woe and horror, knowing of the violation that those men planned to commit. My skookum grew weak inside me and in its place rose up fear. I was truly afraid to do nothing, afraid of what would happen, afraid on behalf of the peaceful and unsuspecting Bigfoot families that Silent Owl had betrayed. I resolved to go and to try and help them, to protect them, if necessary. I am not a hunter of men, and the thought of turning my compound bow on a person and silently assassinating him frightened me. I was not sure where such a thought came from, but I could imagine having Silent Owl in my sights and putting an end to their expedition in just one shot. They might shoot back, but I would be long gone. I trembled, afraid of the consequences of murder, but I also realized I must be willing to do anything, or there was no point in going after them. I went home and called my dogs from the woods, Spritzer and Chief. They came to me, wagging their tails and the sniffed my hands and sensed I was about to go on a big hunt. Spritzer growled, he didn't like my fear, but he obeyed me and got into the back of my truck. Chief seemed nervous, following me around while I packed. When I had my backpack ready, I took up my compound bow, a .36 caliber revolver, my hunting knife and a survival hatchet. I loaded my truck with extra fuel and water and food for my dogs. For a long moment I sat in the cab, in the muddy driveway of my trailer. It was a decision I had to choose to make. I could stop and do nothing, or I could take the warpath. We were soon off the highway and driving up an old dirt logging road, partially overgrown. I stopped at the creek and got out. We hiked the rest of the way up to where the road ends and there we found the pickup that belonged to Matthew McConaughey and his buddies and it was empty. They had already set out on foot up into the mountains. They had about six miles to hike before they were even at the edge of Bigfoot's territory. I followed them, with fear of what they planned to do and fear of what I planned to do weighing in my mind. Old Raven found me and asked me. Where are you going? I ignored the creature and led my dogs. It grows dark in the forest before it is night, and I saw the campfire of Matthew McConaughey's hunting party and I stopped and set up a cold camp. I fed my dogs and slept little, listening to the darkness and hearing the voices of the men as they bragged loudly. In the morning I waited until they left. I could have shot an arrow into Silent Owl, but I was too afraid. We came to their camp and I finished putting out their fire. The dripping pines weren't in danger of burning, but it annoyed me that they had littered and left their campfire smoking. My dogs sniffed everywhere, sensing that we were hunting these men. They looked at me questioningly and I said. I don't know either. I know this is strange, but I don't know how to turn back. When we reached the quiet mountain meadow where my grandfather had seen Bigfoot, I realized we were crossing the threshold. There was no turning back, we were entering into another world, an older and more civilized world. In this place, there was a balance between man and nature, and man wanted for nothing. They were hidden here, unseen by the cold and calculating eyes of science. I followed the tracks of the hunters easily, seeing how they blundered through the grass and bushes. The trees shed their dew like a soft rain and birds who had never seen humans called to each other for the curious gossip of newcomers. I caught up to them and waited some distance away, crouching down and hidden. I thought to myself that if I was going to fire an arrow and put an end to this, that now would be the right time. All I could think about was them shooting back at me, chasing me, hunting me. I was frozen in fear, unable to take action. My dogs were growling softly as they too waited to strike. The hunting party moved on and I followed them. We began to climb the side of the mountain, and I realized with anxiety that by now, Bigfoot would know we were here. It occurred to me that I didn't need to do anything, 
If Bigfoot was disturbed by the intrusion. Bigfoot had great skookum, and he could fend for himself. I had told myself this and used it as an excuse to abandon my foolish pursuit of the hunters. Both of my opportunities to fire an arrow and end Silent Owl's betrayal had resulted in me paralyzed by fear. I knew I would do nothing, there was no point in me trying. So, I told myself to let Bigfoot defend his own lands and to turn back. That is when things became terrifying. My dog smelled something in the air they didn't like. Their loyalty to me shattered as I told them to stop and to stay, but they ran away, whimpering in terror. I turned and soon I could smell Bigfoot, like rancid swamp water. The foul wind turned my stomach and drove a primal fear into me like a thorn. I looked up, my eyes watering and saw a blurry image of one great hand curled around a tree at a monstrous height. The angry eyes, almost human, peered out at me from behind the wood. I shook and stood frozen, looking back at it. There was a low growl from the creature and then it called out in a voice that was too much like the howl of a man. I fell to my knees and dropped my weapon. I put up my hands, covering my head. I looked down from it, my instincts commanding my movements. I wanted to survive, and I could sense its rage and its hostility. I prayed, my lips murmuring. Great spirit, please show me as animal friend. I meant no harm coming here, forgive me. Teach this son of the forest I am not its enemy. Put compassion in its heart. Bigfoot looked at me and heard my frightened whimpering. It stared down on me for a long time, breathing heavily. It belted an enraged roar, but it did not lift me or harm me. I shook with terror, fearing for my life. Then the ground shook as it stomped away and left me there. My legs were shaking as I tried to stand, but my fear had overwhelmed me. I fell down, alone without my dogs, and lay staring up into the lit green canopy. I took a long time but my skookum gradually built up inside me, and I decided to follow Bigfoot. I knew that if it thought I was an enemy, I would already be dead. On the ridge I saw the hunters. They had found Bigfoot tracks and were following them. The one who looked and sounded exactly like Matthew McConaughey was in the lead. Silent Owl was behind them, he was looking around, sensing that some hidden danger had him in their sights. This time I let my arrow fly. Silent Owl fell from the ridge, and the other hunters did not notice until he had plummeted to his death. I felt sorrow for my actions, but I knew it was just. He had led the hunters to Bigfoot, and in doing so, he had begun the killing that was to follow. Forgive me, brother. May you find peace with your loved ones on the other side. I spoke on behalf of Silent Owl hoping that he would find forgiveness in death and be reunited with his family. For the hunters, death was not so kind or gentle. They found Bigfoot, or rather, a band of four younger male Bigfoot found them. They were in a savage mood, having watched all the females and children of their tribe flee in terror. The older male Bigfoot had gone too. I called out a warning, hoping they would run for their lives. I'd watched the Bigfoot flee before the hunters could find them, vanishing into the forest from the open mountain meadows below. The hunters looked to my position on the ridge, having heard my warning cry. One of them used his rifle scope to identify me. For a split second I thought I'd be shot, but they knew nothing of my fault in Silent Owl's death. They never climbed down to his body to see the broken arrow. Then the Bigfoot attacked. Their first assault was a test of the strength of the intruders. They didn't kill any of them, but they left injuries and terror on the faces of the hunters. They fired their rifles at close range but managed to miss with every shot. When the Bigfoot retreated, the hunters were too terrified to continue, all except Matthew McConaughey. I followed him as he set out alone, deep into Bigfoot territory. He was determined to slay Bigfoot and would not back down from their gorilla antics. We came to a part of the forest that was very old, and great boulders were all that remained of some primeval mountain. Beneath the boulders were shallow caves. Each cave had the skeletal remains of a Bigfoot. We had entered their burial ground. Every Bigfoot that had ever died was brought to this place, for countless generations, going back to the very first day. 
I shuddered in dread of what the spirits would think of me for entering such a sacred place without right, without tribute. I took one last candid look at Matthew McConaughey where he was crouched and handling the skull of Bigfoot. I left him there and went back the way I had come. As I wandered back through the forest I found the first of the fleeing hunters. Bigfoot had broken his neck, disemboweled him and impaled his body on broken limbs high up in a tree. I gasped in horror at the sight, but I left his remains there. I had my own skin to save, and I wasn't out of the woods yet. I found the second hunter dead as well. The Bigfoot had relentlessly pursued them and killed at least two of them. I felt dread as I realized the Bigfoot were close and they were killing every man in sight. Would I be hunted down and brutally slaughtered? I heard gunshots in the distance. I knew the Bigfoot had found the last hunter. I moved on slowly and cautiously, night was falling and I felt trepidation at the thought of camping or wandering in the dark. I pressed on, almost to the creek. There I found the last of the hunters. They had torn him to pieces and scattered him all over the place. His rifle was twisted and smashed. I felt sick as the last light was fading. I knelt at the small waterfall and threw up. When I arose, my panic grew to screaming heights as I saw I was surrounded by angry Bigfoot. I knew it was about to be all over. They would descend on me and tear off my arms and bite through my neck. I cowed at the sight of them and again fell to my knees. They were closing in on me when I heard a loud and almost chuckling grunting noise. I looked up and saw the massive old Bigfoot I had first seen. He had come and seen me and was telling the others to let me go. The Bigfoot looked at their leader and then they backed away from me and left me there, shaking in terror. I fled through the forest, following the creek until I came to the old logging road. I took one look at Matthew McConaughey's abandoned vehicle and I knew it would stay there and rust, nobody was coming back from the hunting party. I walked toward my own vehicle and when I got there, I tossed my backpack into the back. Chief looked up at me and whined. He had hidden there, waiting for my return. I called to Spritzer, but he never came. With my heart heavy at his disappearance, I drove us back to the highway and took us home. That night I sat with my hands shaking and my nerves frayed. I had survived, but my memories of what I had seen and how terrible it all was would linger in my mind forever. I would never have peace again. As I sat thinking about it, I wondered what had become of my other dog. Chief had come inside, having had enough of the woods. He sat miserable, missing his brother. As we sat staring at his empty place by the fire, I heard barking outside. I opened the door and there he was, Spritzer had traveled all night and somehow found his way home. I was overjoyed, and some part of me began to feel hope. I realized the Bigfoot would again know the peace and isolation they needed to survive. They had let me go because they are not monsters, and they forgave me. Spritzer's return home was like a sign that in the end, all would be well. Hello, I'm a bus driver in a small town in England, and I think I've just picked up a passenger's soul on my bus. This happened two nights ago. I've worked with this bus company for eight and a half years, and I have driven the same route for three years. Over this time, I have gotten regulars that I've come to know as I see them multiple times a day, some young and some old. I take them to work or to the shops and bingo. I often jump out to help my older passengers with their shopping and whatnot. I've had a passenger that I've taken for the full three years I've done this route. Let's call her Jane. Jane is an elderly lady who suffers from dementia. She was well-functioning for the last two and a half years, sometimes a little confused, but I was always patient and helped her however she needed. I used to pick her up from the bus stop right outside her house literally a 10-second walk from her door to the bus stop. Every day, I'd take her from her house to the local shopping center where she played bingo with friends. However, her dementia worsened in the last six months, after an incident on my bus where she got very confused and distressed. I had to stop my bus and try to settle her down. Someone on the bus knew her son, who thankfully worked close by and came over to help. I told my manager, 
who understood and approved for my passengers to get off my bus and catch the next one just behind, so I could stay with Jane. Her son came, calmed her down, took her home, and thanked me for the help. We spoke about Jane, and I explained how we had become friendly over the last few years I had been on the route. I explained she hadn't freaked out like this before. He said he knew and she spoke fondly of me. Her dementia had worsened, causing her to have bad spells. He took my number and said he would get in touch to arrange a gift for looking after Jane. I insisted it was okay and that I didn't want a gift, but he insisted. He took my number and his mother, and left the bus. I never saw Jane again after that day, but I did see the son at the shops. He explained that Jane had gotten worse and unfortunately wasn't safe to leave the house. I thanked him for letting me know, wished her the best, and asked to be kept up to date with her condition as we had become friends over the years. This leads to last night. I had been covering the late night shift all week when around 11.30 pm. I was driving by Jane's house. The bus was completely empty, but as I approached the stop, I thought of Jane as I normally do. For some reason, I had an urge to stop at the bus stop outside her house. Even though I could see there wasn't anyone waiting, the urge was so strong that I did. I opened the doors and waited for a second. A cold rush of air entered the bus, and I closed the doors and drove on. I could feel a presence on the bus. About five minutes later, or six stops down the road, I felt someone next to my cab on the bus, as if someone was waiting to get off. I stopped again and opened the doors. I felt the presence leave, and I again continued on, feeling a bit confused. I fully believe in the paranormal. So when I got a call this morning from Jane's son to tell me she passed away two nights ago in her home around 11 pm, I broke down. I had forgotten about the strange feeling I had that night with a presence on my bus until the funeral. I took the day off and attended the funeral for Jane, before going back to the son's house for the wake. The son's house was 30 seconds from the stop where I had let the presence off. I don't know if this is crazy or if I'm just being stupid, but I picked up a presence from right outside Jane's house 30 minutes after she passed and dropped it off at her son's house. Could I have taken Jane's soul on a final trip to see her son before she passed on to whatever is beyond? I really want to believe I did so I have comfort in the idea that I drove her one last time to see her son one last time. Does anyone else have an experience like this? Thank you, and sorry for the long read. When I was a young man there were these things. I don't know if this was a dream or what but it was constantly happening to me. These creatures would come into my room and I would refer to them as babies. They were tiny little three foot tall creatures with heads that looked like pickaxes. Reminded me of the alien films, but not as frightening. Totally black colored, like night black. The thing that got to me was that some of them had paper sacks with large big black eyes. And like a few years ago I saw that book, the cover of a book by I think Whitley Stryber, Communion. I don't know if that's what it was but it scared the heck out of me. I don't know if that's what it was but these things would come into my room at night and surround me and they made this weird noise. It was kind of like a deep snarl but it was all out of sync. Like there was a lot of them doing it. It was kind of like a weird breathing through your teeth noise. Some of it sounded like it was coming out of an electronic box or something. I only told my parents and one friend about it. It was like 18 or 19 years old. I can remember way back then it was always at this one old house that we lived at in Madison, Wisconsin. It's never happened after that. I think my parents just shrugged it off as, you know, whatever. I used to wake up on the floor, under the bed sometimes. I don't remember getting there but heck if I know. Guess I'll never know what it was. After I read Stryber's books and stuff, I tried to think of any weird, missing time type of thing or anything like that and I can't think of anything that's happened since then so it might have just been a type of dream thing or something. Who knows? I'm 33 right now. Maybe I'm better off never finding out. My story happened so long ago, 
I'm not sure I even had children at the time so it had to have been over 25 years ago. At the time I was convinced our house in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania was haunted because of other strange things that had happened there, too tired to type the rest of the stories. It is too long to type but can share some of the other odd things another time. A friend and I were sitting in a room upstairs that was my living room at the time. She had been visiting, I wonder if she remembers this event as at the time she was not in touch with this side of her that she now is aware of. Anyway, we were just hanging out and we both saw what I call the mist come up the steps and at the top slash landing it formed into a human shape. The closest description I can come up with is the look of beaming to places on Star Trek. As soon as I looked directly at it, it whooshed out of the human shape and into what was currently our upstairs bedroom, sort of like the lines of flight. I don't remember any sounds but I remember feeling pretty creeped out and cold. The next and only sighting I had with that pixel-type figure was in my basement about 10 to 15 years later. I actually put my hands in front of me because I felt I was going to run into it, and it just vanished into thin air. You know that feeling that you get if your eyes are closed or you are blindfolded and you can sense something in your personal space? That's how it was. This happened on March 13, 2017. My fiancé was out running errands and I was home alone with our two kiddos. No big deal. It's just a regular day. I'm doing the dishes. I'm all wet and soapy and wouldn't you know it, my daughter dumps a huge ginormous bag of M&Ms, if you know how M&Ms are, they get in every little nook and cranny, like every little corner, crack, and crease. Like, they are just everywhere. So, here I am, all soaked and wet, and I need to start picking up these M&Ms. So I'm on my hands and knees, getting them out of every little crack I can and putting them in a pile so I can sweep them up and then throw them in the trash. Meanwhile, while I'm picking up these M&Ms my phone, my house phone, starts ringing off the hook like someone keeps calling me and calling me. And I'm like, you know what, whatever, my hands are full right now. I'll get back to them. My caller ID will pick it up and I'll be able to see who called and I can call them back. If not, they can leave a message. No big deal, right? So, I get them all in a pile and I pick up the phone to see who called, to see if it was an emergency because they were calling non-stop. I thought it was gonna be the same person calling again and again trying to get a hold of me. Well, it ended up being my grandma, my dad, and my fiancé. So I saw there was a voice message. So this is where things get weird, but I don't know it yet. I don't know what's weird yet. To me, everything's normal. So I call my voicemail and I'm listening to the message. The thing about my voicemail is that it will say, message from blah 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 and then it says their phone number. And then it says my grandma's phone number and then I hear my grandma's voice. So I'm listening to her message and literally halfway through I hear my fiancé's voice. And I'm like, hello? And I'm like really weirded out. We had this conversation and in my head, I didn't even tell him that it's weird that I got randomly connected to your phone call because I was in the middle of listening to voice messages. Normally when you take another call, you have to hit a button to go to the next line but it automatically connected me so I'm like, whatever, and we talk and that's that. When I was on the phone with him I explained to him all about tampons, took him all through what different sizes, brands, and all that, and I told him what size and brand to pick me up because I needed some tampons. So I hung up and it's fine. I didn't listen to the whole message obviously because I got cut off and I didn't even think to call back to listen to the whole thing. I go back to doing what I'm doing. I get dinner ready and stuff and this is when I find out the day turned into a really weird day. So my fiancé comes home and he brings in some bags. I'm looking in the bags, putting stuff away, and I'm like, hey, where are those tampons I asked for? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you know when you called me and we had a conversation and I told you all about tampons and what kind I wanted. He was like no. He looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, no, we talked. And he's like, no we didn't, 
Amber, I called the house one time and you didn't answer or call me back. And I'm like, yeah, but, okay. So I just dropped it because I'm already looking pretty crazy, right? So I got his cell phone and I looked through the call log and he was right. He only called me one time and I didn't answer, so, it hit me. It dawns on me later in the night that, hey, you know what, I never did finish listening to that message my grandma left me. So I called the voicemail and I listened to the message and it went through my grandma's phone number that it was from her. It says her phone number and then it starts the message. Partway through her message I heard my fiancé's voice on the voicemail and our voicemail had recorded the conversation that never happened. And it recorded his whole half of it. So when I would talk, it was just silence but I heard his end of the conversation. The end that supposedly never happened, you know, and I put it on speaker and let him hear it. We were pretty spooked. It's freaky. For me, this whole time, I thought it was normal but then when he got home, now listening to it, like, no, it really did happen, I'm not crazy. I didn't imagine that whole conservation. So it was like proof, you know. In one way, it's like yes, I'm not crazy, but in another way, it's like, well, what happened? It's creepy. Like what could possibly happen where in my reality we had this conversation but in his reality, we didn't. It's freaky. Long story short, my dad passed away in 2019. He was a local legend of a man, a crusty, harsh, hardcore old mountain man. When he passed, he had two small children that he was raising on his own, as their mother had pretty much abandoned them after getting cabin fever and falling into addiction. They lived totally off-grid in an area that is snowed in for eight months of the year. Anyways, when he died, I adopted the boys and have been raising them as my own, I'm their 48-year-old half-brother. So, that's the backstory. The kids are doing great, by the way. But I kid you not, dad keeps visiting all these relatives and townspeople in their dreams. These are people who have no contact with one another. They always reach out to me to tell me the same thing, that dad visited them in their dreams and had some sort of urgent message for me. They weren't sure what it was, just that he's been desperate to get to me, and I won't answer. It's the same mutual dream, over and over, among random people who don't know one another. Honestly, I'm a little freaked out. He wasn't exactly the nicest person to me, so I'm not thrilled with the idea of him reaching out from the great beyond with a message for me. Over the years, I've come to expect these messages from random unrelated people, and I've never told anyone about this. I had a mild stroke earlier this month, and man oh man, the old man must be desperate to get a message to me since then, because it's ramped up a lot this month. Hopefully, he's just trying to tell me to slow down and take better care of my health, because Lord knows he didn't. Well, we know how that turned out. But knowing the old man, he's probably pissed that I sold his beloved Unabomber cabin or something instead of giving up my life, moving in, and raising the kids there, removed from civilization, which was his expressed desire. I'm without question that his soul is not at rest with that. His friends usually tell him in their dreams that the kids are doing great and that he can rest now, but he sure doesn't seem to want to.